Okay, so this is uh, session one of the Pleasant Grove at College Street membership class. And so what we're going to be talking about today is sort of doing an overview of why membership matters and a biblical basis for church membership. All right. So let's go ahead and pray first um, as we get started. And um, uh, and then we'll look at uh, what we got for today. So, Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for a chance to to open your word, to um, talk about these concepts and talk about um, the ways in which the Bible points us towards membership in the local um, church um, and why that is good and necessary for for living out the Christian life faithfully. Um, God, help us to to. Uh, imbibe these things and and um, take them to heart and assimilate them into our understanding of of who we are um, as Christians living in community. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, so let's start with kind of like a, a, a thought exercise. So imagine these four different people um, who are Christians, okay? So first off, there's John. Um, John follows Jesus, but but not in an organized religion kind of way. Um, he feels he worships best when he's going for a hike and out in nature on Sunday. Um, Leanne um, is a church hopper, you could say, and maybe that sounds a little derogatory, but but she'll go to one church for a little while and hang out and kind of get what she wants out of it, and then. Um, and then move on and start going somewhere else. But in general, she's pretty much somewhere. She's in some church uh, every Sunday. Um, Natasha, um, who has found a, a great group of, of singles um, in her community. Um, she enjoys their company, um, and they get together uh, on Sunday nights. Um, and um, she shows up at church in the morning when the sermon seems like something she would be interested in, but she feels like she gets most of her connection and community with this group of people that she meets in a small group kind of context. And then last, there's Jose. Um, he loves the preaching in his church, but tends to slip out right afterwards. Um, he's never really thought about joining because um, really what's the point? Like, um, he's, he's coming and he's listening and he's growing in his own personal faith through the preaching. What would be the point of, of doing any more than that? So then the question is, what do all these people have in common? Um, they all see themselves as Christians. Um, they all see church as pretty unrelated or at least kind of incidental to the living out of their faith. And they all seem to share a fundamental misunderstanding of what it actually means to be a Christian and how we, we live that out, okay? So what we would suggest is that it is necessary to be a member, and, and we're going to talk about how maybe membership isn't the best way to describe it, um, but it is necessary to live, uh, to be a member of a local congregation, to faithfully live out the Christian life, okay? It's not to say you can't be a Christian and not be in the church, but there's certainly ways that you can't possibly be being faithful unless you are part of a local church. So, so probably the, the, the most important place is, or the most important question would be something like this. Um, well, if, if you're saying we have to, Ashton, where's that in the Bible, right? Where is church membership in the Bible? 
Um, that's, that's a, that's a right question, right? Anytime somebody says this thing is necessary for the faith, we should go to the scriptures and show where it is necessary. Um, the problem is, is that you're not going to find much in the way of proof texts that just say like, Hey, you know, this book, this chapter, this verse, um, says, um, go and join a, an official membership of a local body of believers in your church. It's not going to lay it out that easy. Okay. So you don't see church membership maybe, um, that, that plainly spoken, but the reality is, is you pretty much see church membership everywhere in the New Testament. Um, but you have to be looking for the right thing. Okay. You have to be making assumptions about what the, the, the Bible is teaching us. Okay. So part of the problem, um, and if, and there's, there's ever any questions or comments or you want to kind of, kind of share something or whatever, just kind of stop me and, 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 and do that. But, Many of our attitudes and ideas that we use to describe the church actually tend to undermine the biblical picture of what church is. And so, for example, like we talk about membership into a church. Well, most people think about when you think about membership, what do you think about? Okay, yeah. at, At what kind of place? Like a like a junior league, a sorority, a gym. Right. Netflix. Right. Okay. Um, so it, it, it implies almost this like voluntary club in which you pay your dues to be a part of. Right. But then you get to sort of after that be involved in it as much as you feel like. Okay. A lot of times we talk about membership, even if we don't mean to, those may be the ideas that are already rolling around in our head about what that looks like. Okay. Um, Another kind of bad way that we might talk about it, and, and you can see it even in the words we use, we just see the church as like a religious service provider, okay? So so over the last, say, particularly over the last 30 or 40 years, there has been a, what we would call a pro- professionalization of our culture, and particularly a professionalization of the Christian ministry. And so what that basically means is that we have started to get to a place in our culture where the attitude is you should just farm everything out to the professionals. Okay. You know, we, we, you don't do your own plumbing work anymore. You hire a plumber. You don't do your own electrical work. You hire an electrician. You don't do, you don't work on your own car. You take it to a mechanic and you don't do your own spiritual uh, growth and work. You hire that out to a professional to do, a pastor, okay? And so we talk about even the very language, like we talk about going to a religious or church service, right? Or what do you do at a service, right? You get served, okay? Um, that you're there to receive something, um, which is certainly not untrue, but there's more to um, those things than more to church, being a part of a church than just that, Okay. When we start looking at the biblical kind of illustrations for the church, we find a different kind of picture, okay? So, for example, um, the Bible talks about us being citizens. Uh, it talks about us being family, brothers and sisters. Um, it talks about the church being similar to the organs of a body that make up one whole or vines that are connected to a branch and are fed from and bear fruit for um, it talks about being a flock that belongs to a certain shepherd. It talks about the idea of being ambassadors, right? And all the stuff that comes along with that. I, the, the idea of saying that you have a king and you are um, in a foreign land and you are there to speak on behalf of that king and to be a little piece 
of that kingdom in this foreign land, okay? All those are biblical illustrations, um, and they all speak to the necessity of what we're talking about when we when we talk about belonging to a church or church membership, okay? Um, even the word um, that gets translated church in the New Testament, and that's the word ekklesia. The ekklesia was a political term in the Greek language, but it basically meant it was the assembly of people that would come together in a community to do, you know, sort of political type things. Okay. But the idea was, is that the whole community is called and everybody who has a role in that community comes and speaks and, and has something to say at this, this gathering, this, this, this ecclesia. Okay. So even in the verbiage that we use from the new Testament, the idea that like if you said, oh, you know what, man, I'm, I, I can go to church uh, out in the woods by myself just fine. The reality is, is that's not true um, because at the very least, the church is a gathering of people, okay? Um, the, the very language that the Bible uses for these things points to that. So, so one thing that we could talk about is the idea of saying maybe it's better to, to change the way we talk about um, these things. And so, for example, one thing that we might change is say, it's, it's not so much that you join a church, it's that you submit to a church. Um, when we read the scriptures, we see that Jesus instituted the local church with the intention of it having a certain amount of authority over our lives. Okay. So then really what's going on is if, if we are going to agree to that authority, then it's not so much that we just join this group, but that essentially we are recognizing we are submitting ourselves to that. Okay. And, and you see that all across the board. If you think about it, that's how citizenship works. Um, citizenship is a function of us is the consent of the governed is the word that sometimes gets used in, in political um, places, right? Um, you might think to yourself, no, nah, I'm just a citizen because I've always been here, but that's not really true. You're a citizen because you have agreed to live under the submission to the governmental authorities that, that you're under, whether that's, you know, the police or the local authorities or state, federal, whatever, okay? You basically have to say, I agree to submit to your authority, and then obviously in the case of our country, and I expect you to lead and govern in a certain way that benefits me or whatever, right? But it's still a function of submission Submitting to it. Um, when, when we choose to follow Jesus, what we have to recognize is that there's a whole package deal that comes with that. You are not just coming under the submission of Jesus, but you are associating yourself and coming under the submission of his, of his church, of his people in general, and of particularly of the leaders in that church. It's a package deal for all of this, okay? Um, an illustration that I've used sometime before, and obviously if, if you're not super familiar with Islam, then maybe this doesn't make any sense. But in Islam, when you look at the rules for living out in Is the Islamic faith, a lot of it has to do with having a caliph who is basically like a king, and he has a caliphate, um, a kingdom, okay? And a lot of the rules have to do with you engaging with that caliph and being under his authority and submission and things like that. So in a very real sense, there's there, there are Islamic um, people who say, much like the Jews can't really do Judaism without the temple, Islam can't really do Islam without living under a caliphate. Okay, so what I would use as an illustration is to say Christianity has one of those two, but what ours is 
is the church in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, the church is the thing that if we don't have that, a whole lot of the Bible doesn't make sense anymore. Okay. A whole lot of the things that it has called us to do don't make sense anymore. Um, so yeah, just, just, and you can probably just start to think of, and obviously we're going to look into them, all the different aspects of the Christian faith that can't be done unless you have a body of believers to do that with. Um, so we don't just associate with the local gathering of believers. We submit to its authority and we commit to relationship with it. Okay. So let's look at a couple of, um, places where it talks about literal biblical language. It talks about the idea of submitting to authority within the context of the church, right? So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 tells us to obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, so right there, you see, you see a double sidedness to it, right? Not only does, do you submit to the leaders, but the leaders will have to give an account for you before God one day. All right. Um, first Peter five, five, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, uh, shows favor to the humble. Titus three, one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And then lastly, Romans 13, two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay. And obviously that Romans 13 passage is talking even beyond the scope of the church, even into, to the governmental authorities, but it certainly comes down all the way to, uh, church authorities and even to, to parental authority in the case of people who are still under their, their parents' household. But, um, so we see these places in the scripture where it tells us, Hey, to be a part of the church means to come under the authority and submit to the authority of the church. All right. Which has to be a process that you agree to. Um, nobody's forcing you to do that. Okay. You have to willingly come in and submit to that, but it's not just the process of submission. Um, that's important. It's also the idea of relationships that we see throughout the scriptures. Okay. So for example, and, and the, the way we're going to attack this a little bit is, over and over again in the Bible, if you pay attention, you see these passages that I'll call one another passages. They're all over the place. In fact, if you start looking, you would probably highlight 10 or 12 of them in every New Testament book that you read, probably more than that, okay? And it's basically any passage that says, do something, encourage one another, okay? Well, obviously, the idea being is you can't do that on your own, okay? If there's a one another passage, you have to participate in a relationship with somebody so that you are able to do that, okay? So, for example, here we go. First um, Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build each other up. Hebrews 10, consider how to stir one another to love and good works. First Peter 4 has three of them in basically the same sentence. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's steward of God's varied graces or God's varied grace. 
And then Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Okay. So, right. So if these are all commands from God about how we're supposed to live, and you've decided that the best way to do church is to live in the woods by yourself and never see people or never talk to them, then there's not any way you can obey any of these things. You can't encourage anybody. You can't love anybody. You can't serve anybody. You can't show hospitality to anybody. You can't rejoice with anybody. You can't do any of these things because, because living the, the Christian life re- requires relationship. Okay. Other places that we see love the brotherhood of believers. Um, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one, that no root of bitterness springs up or causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is, is sexually immoral and unholy, right? We're supposed to be guarding each other is, is the picture there in Hebrews 12. Um, we're supposed to be using our gifts to serve one another. So Romans 12 again, for as in one body we have many members, there's that body illustration, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, so so here's an illustration that I, I thought about the other day. So, you know, I, I work at UPS and we have discovered something or, or corporate UPS has discovered something, is that when people are out... Like when people are, you know, call out or are sick or whatever, and your sort, let's say it's got 20 people on it, now has to make do with only 16, and people are doing jobs they're not used to, and they're in positions they're not used to and stuff like that, that is one of the main times when injuries happen, okay? That's just kind of something they've seen. So they've talked about the fact that, hey, man, like it's important for you to be here for your job. Because when you're not here, somebody that doesn't know how to do it as well has to do it for you. And when that happens, we're more likely to get people hurt. Okay. Well, guess what? I think that's a great illustration for the church is the reality is, is the Bible says is that every single one of us is gifted through our indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through our conversion and faith in Jesus Christ, every single one of us is gifted in different ways with certain spiritual gifts, okay? And every one of those, just like it says in that Romans passage, every one of those, just like the organs of the body, are necessary for its proper functioning. You can't just take your liver out and expect to go on for very long. You can't just take your kidney out and expect to go on for very long. Everything has a special job and a, in a, a unique role to play. And as soon as one of those pieces is gone, then things start breaking down in different ways. Okay. And so, you know what? Let's say, for example, our church needs people who are willing to call people out for ways that they're sinning, but we also need people who are able to teach people the right way to to follow Christ. And we also need people who are merciful to show people grace and encouragement as they are figuring out how to rightly rightly live for Jesus. And yet if you take one of those pieces out, it's going to mess something up, right? Like there are going to be people who are living in sin or who are feeling dejected, who are not being trained in righteousness. Something's going to get left out. So you go back to the idea of saying, well, ministry has been professionalized. The problem is, is that many people would say, yeah, Ash, that's your job. You're supposed to do all those things. Okay. But the Bible says, no, uh, you have, I certainly have a role in those things, but I'm not supposed to do all those things. We are supposed to do all those things together. 
to serve each other in all these different ways. And so um, while there is a sense that in, um, so, so all that to say we're supposed to be in relationships, well, then you might say, well, cool, with who? Like, are these not things, the things that we're reading here from the scriptures, are they not telling us to just live this way with the whole world? with Christians everywhere or whatever. Aren't these just general commands for the way we're supposed to treat everybody? And the answer is that in a sense, uh, there's a sense in which we do these things wherever we go. But I think it also seems plain that we regularly have to do these things in a specific context of local particularized believers. Okay. So what I mean by that is this, like, um, um, The Bible talks about the idea of saying, well, um, I am a pastor. So let's look at a couple of these things on our, on our thing, um, for, for church members and church leaders, um, for a church member, if you're to, if you're submitting to the authority of the elders, then the question is, well, what elders are you submitting to? Like, who are those elders? Okay. Is it all elders of all the church anywhere in the world? Can an elder at a church in China call you up tomorrow and say, brother, you're living in sin. Uh, and you should, and you should, um, uh, listen to that guy and, and, and do what he says and fall under his leadership. Um, again, in a general way, you might go, well, if he's got something good to say and it's insightful and he knows me somehow and it's connected, then yeah, I might, I might take some of that to heart the same way we would listening to, you know, a, a preacher on TV or reading a book or something like that. But I don't, none of the passages that we've read seem to be talking about these things like that. They're talking about the idea of you being in submission to somebody in particular, elders that are in your community that you know that you are in current relationship with. Okay. By the same token, as a church leader, who am I going to give an account for at the end of time? So the Bible says that I'm going to give an account for the way I have led and the people who are under my care. So does that mean that's true of every Christian on the planet, that I am responsible for all of them? Um, as an elder, am I going to be held accountable for Christians in other places that I've never even met? I don't think that makes any sense, right? Uh, it seems to be the case that the Christians who I am going to be responsible for are the very ones who I have been part of of leading. Okay. So then again, that means that you've got to start delineating who that is. If I'm an elder over certain people, I've got to know who the people it is that I'm um, leading and the people need to know who their leaders are. Um, on, on, on top of all that, when we talk about serving the, the relationship side of this, not the submission, but the relationship side, well, who do I serve? Who am I responsible to serve? Okay. Who is my neighbor? would be one of the questions that, right, we find in the New Testament. And what's the answer? Well, at one level, it means everybody who's in need, right? Everybody who we come to, that's certainly a way. I would hope that you would all, you know, when it says encourage one another, I would hope none of you would ever go, well, I see the opportunity to encourage somebody, but they don't go to my church, so I'm not going to say anything to them, right? Like you wouldn't do that, right? You would encourage them too. But the point is, is that you seem to have in the scriptures more responsibility to serve and and use your gifts to a certain group of people that it's referring to, okay? Not to mention the fact that all of these things would have been spoken into a context in which 
there probably was in the early church only one group of believers, right? Like you knew all the people in your congregation. And so um, we find this over and over again, this idea of saying, we have to submit, we have to be in relationship, but it seems to be the case that we are in a relationship with a specific group of people and not just everybody in general. Um, so like, kind of like in Galatians 6 where it says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith, right? Uh, we have a particular responsibility to do that um, within the household of faith. So um, that's sort of like a general kind of idea of, of a biblical basis for, for church membership. Okay. Um, any kind of questions or, or comments or pushback or anything like that? I will submit to you. <laughs> that's fine. And hey, that's a good, that's a great, I'm, I know you're joking, but so, so, uh, so somebody said, Hey, well, what if I don't want to submit to you? And the answer is you're totally right. That happens all the time. Okay. So for one, if, if someone is unwilling, nobody's being forced to submit to anybody. It's just saying, if you are going to come under the body of this church, then you are going to have to submit to the leadership there. And if you look at that leadership and say, I don't think that leadership is worthy of being submitted to for some reason. I don't think they're biblically teaching, teaching biblically what I agree with or whatever, then you should probably go find another congregation, right? To submit to that, that person. But the point being is that you, you still have to submit to somebody to live out the Christian faith. Um, it doesn't have to be one particular one, but it has to be somewhere. So again, that's a key thing because sometimes when we talk about submission, people get worried about the feeling of like domineering kind of thing. Like you're going to be forced and trapped into something. And it's like, that's not what we're talking about. Okay. We're talking about people agreeing to live in a certain kind of relationship with each other, one of leadership and, and following one of uh, authority and submission, and then one of mutual service where we each are responsible to serve each other in different ways. So. So when do I mow your lawn? <laughs> uh, when it needs to be. No. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah. You don't want to mow my yard. It's, it's the worst. Um, and there's a lot of it. I need a tractor. Anybody got a tractor? No, I do. Yeah, working is different. So, um, other questions? Well, I'll just make the comment that this is one of the ways Christianity differentiates from other faiths, like Buddhism, for example, which the idea is you go inside. Yes. to find your, I guess, salvation. Mm -hmm. Whereas we have to interact with people. That's right. Yeah, so I don't, for, for, for the recording, if you, if you couldn't hear that, the very idea that um, many other faiths basically see your own life as the referential point, um, that you're looking inside yourself for um, your meaning and inner peace and, and enlightenment and all these things like that. Uh, and Christianity is completely opposed to that. Um, it basically says, in fact, that to a large extent, you can only find those things in the context of community. Um, that that's not to say that there's no, like, certainly there's a kind of worship that we can do by ourselves. There's a kind of seeking after God in the scriptures and learning through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we can do on our own. And yet we know that a lot of it does not come that way. A lot of it comes from being in community with other people.
So. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, silence and solitude are real things and good and a piece of the puzzle. Um, but they're not, but you, they're not the whole story. Right. Um, and so you can't just live in those things. Any other questions, comments, concerns? So I'll just kind of end with this last slide. Um, and it was something somebody said or I, I read somewhere and I thought, yeah, that, that is sort of a little bit biting, right? A little bit cutting. Um, but, but it basically says, what would our church be like if everyone acted like you do? What would our church be like if everybody served like you do? What would our church be like if everyone gave like you do? Okay. So, so just to stop and think for a second, it's, it's not to incur guilt. It's not to pat ourselves in the back, but it's just saying if everybody did things the way I did, would this be a healthy place or would it be an unhealthy place? If everybody gave like I gave, would this be a place that had resources or would it be a place that was broke? Um, if everybody served the way I did, would this be a place where people were being, their needs were being met? Or would it be a place where, where nothing was getting done? Right. Um, so I hope the case is, is that obviously when, when you commit to join the relationship and come under the submission of the church, you're recognizing that there is going to be a job to do. There's going to be a responsibility that is taken in that process. Um, so that when you come in, it is not just to be, to be served, but to serve others. Um, it is not just to receive, but it is to give. It's not just to be fed, but it is to to find a way that you can be a part of feeding others. Um, cool. Right on. Okay. Well, um, that's first session. Um, the first session obviously is is a is a good bit shorter probably than the second session will be. The second session, I'm worried that we will not be able to do it within the allotted amount of time because there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about. What we're what we're I'll kind of preview it. That what we'll basically do next week is talk about how um, our church falls into the traditions of the Christian faith in certain contexts. Okay. So we are a, we are a Orthodox church in the sense of we can align ourselves with, um, the historic creeds of the faith, but we are a Protestant church, meaning we have, um, into a summary would be, we have affirmed the five solas, um, and said, the particularly the Roman Catholic Church has misunderstood the nature of of our relationship to Christ and to salvation. And those the, the Protestant distinctives are the things that we understand to be correct. Uh, we are part of the reformed tradition. That is to say, the branch of the Protestant Reformation um, that that circles more around um, Calvin and his teachings as opposed to Luther uh, and his teachings or even the Anabaptists and, and their teachings. Okay. And so there are certain affinities that we have with the reformed understanding, particularly of salvation. 
Um, then beyond that, we are also evangelical. And that sort of ties into, that's a broad term, even in our own culture right now, but it's a term that ties into a certain rubric of characteristics that are also very Protestant, but have a distinct um, context in them being evangelical. Uh, we zoom in even past that to say we are Baptist and what it means to have Baptist distinctives as opposed to other Protestant reformed evangelical traditions, um, say like Presbyterianism or something like that. And then our last section saying we are Southern Baptist. And so being Southern Baptist makes us look a certain way, even at the end of that, differing from other Baptists. And what we can do is sort of see the way all of our doctrinal statements play into these things about how the Nicene Creed becomes a picture of our, um, uh, Orthodox theology, how the New Hampshire Baptist Confession um, ties us to a Protestant, evangelical, reformed Baptist um, context. And then um, while we don't make the Baptist faith and message um, uh, a central document to our church, we'd certainly be an affirmation of it. And um, really, when we get to the Southern Baptist section, we kind of zoom in on some of the denominational entities, particularly the International Mission Board and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission that would make, they were, they are things that we as Southern Baptists emphasize in as, as important areas of thought that maybe the rest of the church doesn't emphasize as much. Um, so that's what we'll talk about next week. So, uh, let me. Is what you just outlined distinct from, oh, we could talk about this next week as well, but. What you just outlined distinct from the uh, principles or doctrine of the so-called mother church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think in some cases it would be. So we would we would align with them on certain things, and we would uh, we would have some difference on some things. So basically, in a general sense. Uh, yeah, I would say the the main thing that we would differ on would be the reform section. So they would be Orthodox, they would be Protestant, they would be Evangelical, they would be Baptist, and they would be Southern Baptist. But they would probably differ. Um, I know they would differ, or at least the official teaching of that that church would differ in some respects, not all, but some respects on um, what we would call the doctrines of grace. Um, uh, really, what you would call a Dortian, which is probably a term that people have not heard, but Dortian understanding of salvation, which has to do with the Council of Dort and the, the documents, I mean, the, the ideas that were put forth there. So, um, so we would discuss then what is the what is the nature of the affiliation and what is the purpose of it? Yeah, so that would be, we'll probably talk about that kind of stuff when we get to the, the nuts and bolts side, which would be the third or the fourth or fifth um, uh, thing. Yeah. The fourth or fifth, not the third, fourth or fifth. Because, um, and, and that's, that's, it's a good point talking about these things. Um, we would argue, um, that you can be in communion and in fellowship with people who don't, they don't have to line up with us that much, right? Uh, they don't have to be Orthodox Protestant Reformed Evangelical Baptist, Southern Baptist for us to be able to do a lot of work together and connect with and serve together and, and, and cooperate on things. Um, so that would be the, the thing. Um, 
But cool, yeah, we're going to talk about we'll talk about that obviously some next week. So, okay. Well, I'll uh, close this in prayer, and then it's uh, we'll we'll be dismissed. So, again, Father God, we thank you for this time. Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for God the pretty clear picture that we see um, of the responsibilities, the relationships, and the submission to authority that is involved in living out the Christian life faithfully. And we see that that happens in the context of the local body of believers. And so, um, God, we just ask that you would continue to impress these things upon our hearts, um, both the, the expectation and the responsibility that come along with um, being a member um, of the church, um, and, and using our gifts and abilities to serve it, um, and, and submitting to, um, to the leadership of that church. We thank you. God, we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.